Welcome to Dear Dual Perspective. I'm Dr. Emma Eaton. I'm a registered clinical psychologist. And I'm Dr. Sarah McFinnells, a policy researcher. So we'll answer your questions from the micro perspective of individual relationship dynamics based on Emma's clinical training and the macro perspective of social trends based on Sarah's policy background. You can submit your anonymous questions through the link in the podcast description, and we'll answer one question in each upcoming episode. Hey, so welcome everybody. This is our third episode and the first where we'll be including a guest. So we have Michelle Friesen here with us today. She is Yukon First Nations, whose family is from the Taan Kwachan Council. She's the first Indigenous city councillor in Whitehorse in 30 years. She's a mother and a mountain biker and we're absolutely delighted that she could be on our show uh, to help us answer this week's question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited about the question. I'm really excited to be here. I've been tuning into some of the other episodes and Yeah, really grateful to be here. So thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for coming. So continuing on our theme of relatable questions, we'll be answering this one from a listener. Do you think it's possible to be brave and speak up all the time? Why does it feel like a failure or a step back if you can normally confidently use your voice and other times cannot? So when I first saw this one in the anonymous form inbox, I wasn't sure that there was really enough there to do an entire episode about it. Um, But then Emma and I had a chance to talk about it and we realized there's actually a lot here um, that we could discuss. And I think we've all experienced these situations where something happens, you're caught off guard and you ruminate about it for three days about whether like what you should have said or whether you could have taken a different approach. Mm -hmm. Um, And so something I wanted to bring up at the beginning here is something we talk about in research is um, your own positionality or social location as a researcher. So like where you stand in relation to an issue and the broader context. And that's something that's important in answering this question, I think, is our like own positionality and how we approach um, power, like our place within power structures and hierarchy. So Emma and I are both white women, we have PhDs, we're in heterosexual relationships, and I think that affects how much power we can use and have in these social situations as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that, Sarah. Um, and so I think that the context in the situation makes a huge difference. And I, I'm really happy to see this question come in because I think it really shows that people are, that's their intent, they're trying. They want to do this, they want to be able to speak up, uh, whether it's on behalf of an issue that they personally affects them, mm-hmm. or because they want to live in a fairer society and they care about people whose issues don't affect them. Those mm-hmm. are both really important. Um, there's a lot of times that I, I thought about that it might be more difficult for people to speak up. So, you know, if I think about like, if I'm just chatting with you mm-hmm. and you say something and I'm not so sure about it, like we have a pretty equal, friendly relationship and mm-hmm. I can kind of be like, oh, is this what you meant? I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be pretty safe for me to do that. But if I was in a work meeting. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm your boss. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, this, in this scenario, you're my boss. Yeah. Um, then, you know, that might make a real difference. Or even if it wasn't my boss that said something, but everyone else laughed, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it, it makes it a lot harder. Um, and also, I think in a lot of other ways, we're socially privileged, but women do still, a lot of times, still the butt of jokes and mm-hmm. in many ways can be disadvantaged. And it's a lot, it's a lot of labor to be constantly the one, like, kind of saying, like, no, actually, um, that this, wasn't funny. This does affect me. And then yeah. having to get in these stupid, like, arguments where people question your community mm-hmm. um i think that and that's... it's fun for them right like they're like i'm playing devil's advocates and mm-hmm. having a fun little argument in this as a side in this work meeting and you're like actually this is something that deeply affects me personally and i'm very upset and this isn't fun yeah 
Yeah, so I think um, like legitimately people do get a lot of anxiety about that. They, they think about, am I going to get labeled the difficult person who's always, particularly when, you know, in a work environment or another sort of power and indifference environment where there's maybe one person of color, one woman or what, like mm-hmm. one LGBTQ2S plus person and they're always having to be like, well, actually, mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of work for people. And so... It may be that their values or my values are that someone, I'm someone who stands up for mm-hmm. these things. I am someone who is going to have these hard conversations. And, you know, maybe that morning you got up, you stepped in dog poop, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, you were late for work already, your kid cried when you dropped them off at daycare, you know, you didn't get a good sleep the night before, and you're just like, there's a lot of good reasons that your energy is already depleted, and then you have to have your humanity question, like... That's a lot. That's a big day. It's not a fun day. Yeah, I think um, I really like this question too because it is so like open and broad Mm -hmm. and there are so many um, scenarios where you might need to to speak up and use your voice and whether, you know, it's with your friends or Mm -hmm. um, in the workplace or in a position of of power (laughs) or leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And from... I guess like from my experience, I definitely use my voice a lot more now, but I wasn't always confident in using my voice. And, you know, there are times where people have said something and I I feel and I know that what they said, it just doesn't feel right. But mm-hmm. I couldn't quite put my finger on why. And I didn't feel confident to say why that wasn't right. And mm-hmm. so in those moments, I find it still sometimes difficult to speak up and call those things out but I'm starting to learn now that it's more important to call those things out imperfectly Mm -hmm. than it is to call those things out perfectly and you don't need to really have um, all the background and say why that wasn't wrong and I think it's it's good enough just to say that's you know I don't I don't use that type of language here Mm -hmm. or I don't appreciate um, what you've said or like why did you say that what did you mean by that and just Mm -hmm. kind of having those moments to take a second and and think about it a a bit more. And um, I also think too, in some situations, something's been said around me and I didn't quite know how to respond. And I think it's totally okay to also take a step back and think about it and maybe approach that person like the next day or um, when you're not in, when there's not a bunch of other people around, if that's what what you're nervous about, and just ha- and and calling them in, kind of instead of calling it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a, I really like what you mentioned about not expecting perfection from yourself in these situations, mm-hmm. and but then still finding a way to address the issue, maybe after the fact, in a way that feels more comfortable or where it's you're not risking embarrassing someone, and you're more likely to have a positive outcome from that conversation. That's a really great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I think another piece of that too, though, is sometimes we don't call things out because we um, don't want to offend anyone or we're worried about their comfort. And so that is something I struggle with a lot. But at the same time, I I also have been thinking more like, well, my like my comfort and <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, nobody was worried about offending me when they said what they said. So mm-hmm. Um, I think that's also important to remember, too, is that it's not really up to us all the time, especially when we're the people being affected by what's being said, to make sure that other people are feeling comfortable when you say that's not okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I heard another example similar to that where like, if you're worried about like ruining a perfectly nice evening, like that person kind of already did that, right? Yeah. If someone's gone and said something really racist or sexist or something that where it's made other people in the room uncomfortable, like their evening might already be ruined. And so it's, you're not the one like quote unquote ruining the evening or ruining the vibe by saying like, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like what you said about calling people in. Like there's sometimes, especially when you think maybe, oh, maybe they didn't, it, this was an intentional or something to be gentle and to get people on side mm-hmm. um, in a way that like maybe isn't super shaming and embarrassing if it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think to going to that more like systems level, that piece about comfort, I think fits really well in there because as women in particular are very much socialized under the patriarchy and in systems that tend to be quite misogynistic at a lot of times, tend to to be socialized to really value other people's comfort and constantly looking for the comfort of others and less so the comfort of themselves. And so that piece about who's comfortable in this situation, especially men, I find are not used to being uncomfortable ever in a lot of cases. And so then as soon as they're made to feel that discomfort, sometimes then they lash out. So then it becomes an element of like, is it safe for me to, to raise this in this situation as well? And I think sometimes that there's this Margaret Atwood quote where it's men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them, mm-hmm. which I thought put this in like quite stark terms. But I think it fits in this type of conversation of like when you're calling somebody out and there is a, like a safety risk sometimes that comes along with that. If you are kind of disrupting the status quo and what's expected in those situations, thanks to the socialization that we all have under these systems of that are oppressive. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's not enough to intend to do these things and never do it. But I think also, like, if you're so shocked in the moment that you're not really sure what to say and whatever, it, it's great to also take it as a learning opportunity and kind of, like, maybe chat to some other folks and mm-hmm. kind of, oh, what could I have said? Maybe practice some lines that you could say, like, next time, like, oh, I'm surprised to hear you say that mm-hmm. is sort of an interesting or like, oh, I'm not, could you tell me why that's funny is mm-hmm. a great one. I love that, that is a great one. one. Because then once people are explaining it, they, it's on them. <laughs> yeah, totally. That is a good one. Yeah, I really like um, the safety piece that you talked about, too, because that's something, especially with social media and speaking out on social media and using our platform and just the anonymity that some people have now Mm -hmm. right you really do open yourself up to um violence really Mm -hmm. so yeah that's just like another added layer and it's Mm -hmm. and then there's the mental load piece right because it's like you not only have to think about why why is this wrong and you know for me i'm like wondering how people can think some of the things that they say and mm-hmm. and just feeling kind of honestly upset that other people will have to read those things. And so it's like all of those things are happening. And then you also need to make the choice to say what you're going to say mm-hmm. and deal with all the backlash. And um, there was something recently um, I posted about because it didn't sit right with me mm-hmm. and it was cultural appropriation online. And so... Mm-hmm. I, I called it out and that was weeks ago, right? And I still am getting notifications, right? So it's like you're in the moment calling it out, but you sometimes deal with the repercussions of that for weeks after. And mm-hmm. so it can take a toll on your energy and your mental load. And then you might not have the energy to speak up mm-hmm. on the next thing. And so I don't think that that's like a failure or a step back because we do need to protect ourselves yeah. um, and it is a big job to be that person 
always calling it out and um, yeah, I think that's really hard because you want to call it out, but at the same time, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider it a failure though, I guess. Mm-hmm. The social media side of this is really interesting. Our last, our episode number two was about using your phone and we talked a bit about social media in that episode. And I think you raise a good point about that violence and when it's in your phone and you're checking your social media at home, now it's affecting you off the clock, like at, at 8 p.m. when you're trying to wind down for the day and you're like, oh, right, that unpleasant thing. Here's another notification about that. Like it really expands and expands the amount of time that you are spending on this stuff because it's constant and it's permanent. So people might dredge up that post several months later and then it's a constant reminder. Whereas if it's in a more casual conversation at a party where somebody says something, you know, makes a bad joke that's sexist or racist, you address it in the moment and then it kind of carries on and you're not constantly reminded of it in the same way as it would be on social media. So that's another layer to this in this kind of more modern world and especially in your leadership role with city council where you're that's a big part of your job but it's extending into your after hours time as well Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's a good point right that kind of goes back to the beginning and the positionality right it's i think this person who's written in their intention is that they should be doing these things and i think we really also said like it shouldn't be the people who are affected all the time having Mm -hmm. to do this Mm -hmm. once you know better it's, it is important to, to find ways and, and maybe spend a bit of time prepping um, for things like this so that you do feel like in the moment you have something that you can talk about. Um, one of the things that this kind of brought to my mind was uh, there's part of dialectical behavior therapy is interpersonal effectiveness. And there are three types. There's objectives effectiveness, which is the kind of effectiveness that you use when something has crossed one of your values or you you actually need something Um, and so if you go into this is like all over the internet so i'm not going to like do a whole dbt lesson here but it there's a there's a lot that you can read about okay how do i effectively talk about these things and ask for these things there's little scripts that you can use and so if the point of the conversation isn't to maintain the relationship, but to ask for something that you want or need. Um, it's a different type of conversation and there's ways to like go about like preparing for those conversations. Because I think a lot of the time, especially when there are people who are close to us, it can get really confusing. Like, is this a thing where I'm trying to maintain the relationship? Is this a thing where I'm trying to say what I need? Is this the kind of thing where I just need to speak up? This third type of effectiveness is self-respect uh, effectiveness. And it's when you're like, oh, if I don't say something, I'm going to feel pretty bad about this later. Right. Um, and there are scripts for that too. And so thinking about how these kind of conversations arise, cross your values, things like that, can think about how to prepare for these conversations as well. Just thinking about like the layers of and the role of being on city council and things like that too so I I feel um that I'm really starting I'm really starting to grow into my voice in the last couple of years and um, before I was on city council I felt really just as me to be really confident in what I was saying and (laughs) and sharing things on Instagram and, and whatever but having this public figure role adds another layer right and I feel like I did kind of take that step back in my voice just how do I navigate this now like how do I speak up about these things still with this added Mm -hmm. added layer now um and so yeah I think it's just learning and having your allies and really encouraging allies to speak up and and take on some of that heavy lifting and take on some of that mental load so that it doesn't end up always being the same person speaking up and calling things out Mm -hmm. but 
at the same time, um, you know, I think it's really important, you know, it's, it's the first time we've had Indigenous representation on City Council mm-hmm. in 30 years. And so I know when I'm at that table, um, I'm asking questions that have never been asked and I'm challenging perspectives that haven't been challenged. And um, I think for other people, it's really important to see themselves being represented at that table and to see those conversations happening and then also for them to see themselves being supported in those conversations and having allies step up and and speak out too and support what you're saying and and for them to be respected and so when I and speaking of it's really really scary sometimes (laughs) it's really scary but I try to think about that and think about how I got where I am and everybody that you know paved this path for me to to get here and how I don't want the next person to have to have the same conversations that I'm having Mm -hmm. or um you know even bringing my son to city council meetings like that was really hard Mm -hmm. um having that conversation so publicly Mm. but I feel I don't regret that decision at all and I am really glad that we were able to have that conversation because I know there's a precedent now there's an example set and so the next young person we have so many amazing young people stepping into leadership now and now they know they're not going to have to choose between having children or having other responsibilities or being in a leadership role or you know, pursuing politics or whatever that is, they'll they'll just see like that's one less hard conversation mm-hmm. that they're gonna have. And so that's something that really keeps me going is not just, oh, this is really scary, I don't want to do it. It's well what is this conversation gonna mean for everyone that's coming behind me and like what part of the path are we helping to pave? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an incredibly important point is that like diversity really is our strength and when people can see themselves represented in our democratic institutions and that builds engagement and builds a sense of belonging within those democratic institutions of like this is for me this body serves me as a person who lives here and participates in this community and wants to be part of this community and participate further and go beyond just voting and maybe into different elements of civic engagement, like sitting on city council. And so I think it's really fantastic that you've been able to do that in that way um, for us here in Whitehorse. I think that's been, it's been wonderful seeing you in city council and take on that role in the, in that place and doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I really appreciate your naming that like, it's not easy to do that. Mm-hmm. I think the something we really need to underline is that like, a lot of times people think, oh, like, I, I was very surprised to discover that this wasn't easy for you because you make it look easy, right? Um, and I think a lot of people in leadership roles, like, wind up kind of on these pedestals. And I know people have sometimes said, like, when we were having this conversation just before now, and people are like, oh, Emma, you're so organized. And I was like, haha, that's the veil. <laughs> <laughs> you hide it well, Emma. Yeah. You hide it well. No. Um, but, you know, people get... It, it, these ideas about people and then yeah. they're like oh th- so that person's different from me so I could never do what they do yeah but that is balderdash um, <laughs> right like we need all different types of people in leadership positions and we also need to know that like 
what we're seeing of a person is like this teeny tiny part of their, especially when they're like quite removed from us in a leadership position. We don't like, it's magnified with social media. Obviously there's all kinds of stuff on social media about how it's just this like sort of like little veneer that you choose to put up about your life. But Mm -hmm. like, it really does um, contribute to this idea that people have, these thoughts that people have about themselves that like, oh, well, I could never do that. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you probably you could. Yeah. And it's okay if you doing that doesn't look like me doing that or Sarah doing that or Michelle doing that or Barack Obama doing that or whoever doing that, right? And, and it shouldn't look like those people yeah. doing that, right? Like yeah. you should show up in your way and use your voice how you want to, right? Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. we need that diversity. Mm-hmm. It's actually like this is a very good example, right? You bring your son that probably didn't happen before, mm-hmm. and that has increased the richness of the position that you're in and the way mm-hmm. that people look at things. So it's fantastic when people show up and do stuff differently. It doesn't have to look the same, and like you say, it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. It actually makes things better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to um, going back to. Um, how we kind of this perception we build of people in these roles <laughs> it's it's funny because I never pictured myself in a role like this in a million years like <laughs> even even just you know five years ago I never would have thought that I would be where I am and it's, it was thanks to somebody who just asked me to run in, in an election and um, was able to help me see some of the leadership qualities in myself that that they were seeing and I just I didn't picture those things that I was doing in that way and so I'm really thankful that they were able to shift my perspective and then I felt like that was really important because like how many other people maybe are thinking oh I could never do that you know and so that representation piece became so important to me Um, but it was so 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 scary and even I mean, even coming to the podcast, like, I'm so nervous to be, <laughs> to be here and talking. And every time I just feel like it never gets easier. But um, the first time I ever had to speak at a debate, I honestly just was, like, in tears about it. I was so scared. I couldn't even get through a practice round with my one person on my team, you know? Like, I just froze. I forgot all the words in my vocabulary and... And I think it's important to share that, too, Mm -hmm. and just, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I have this t-shirt that says fearless, and I remember putting it on one day in the election, and I was like, I'm not fearless, I'm so scared. (laughs) Take it till you make it, wear the t-shirt. But now, fearless just has this different definition to me, right? So fearless, to me, is being afraid and doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes the right thing to do isn't the easy thing to do. And I think that's such a great example. And I I really appreciate that you shared that. I try to do the same thing with my students because I find public speaking challenging in a lot of ways too. I'm much better at it than I was teaching at 24, 65 second year political study students twice a week for 13 weeks is basically like exposure therapy. Like by the end of that, you're fine in front of a group of about that size, because if you're not, you would have quit. But more high stakes situations, like public presentations, I find I still am super nervous right before. And students are like, really? you like it does change their perception I'm like yeah me like it's okay that you're scared before you present me stuff to do it and so I think that's awesome that you're able to also bring that forward I think it helps people see themselves mm-hmm. doing these hard things and being successful at it and making a difference as they go forward I just want to loop back to the question because I feel like 
the person who's asking the question like made some assumptions, which are normal, um, but it said, why does it feel like a failure step back if you normally can confidently use your voice at other times cannot? And like, I guess what we're saying is um, people are often are not confidently using their voice, they're just using their voice imperfectly. <laughs> and then they're being kind to themselves about like whatever happens and trying to rally their allies and doing the best they can. And, and that's kind of what we, need right it like mm-hmm. there's a real big quote about climate change action we don't need people doing like zero waste perfectly we need like like thousands millions of people doing it imperfectly mm-hmm. these little actions make a big difference and it doesn't matter if you feel confident or not obviously it would be preferable and more comfortable but the reality is a lot of this work is uncomfortable too right you might not you might still get someone saying oh you didn't do that quite right i would have preferred you said this mm-hmm. and that's okay we can all be learning and we can all be doing a good job i think that's too where you grow is in that zone of discomfort like if you just stay in your comfy little box there's not a lot of personal growth happening in the comfy little box mm-hmm. so and that self-reflection which I, this listener is clearly doing mm-hmm. they're reflecting on these situations after the fact but try to do that kindly. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Be gentle with yourself. But even in those moments where you don't, you don't call it out, and then you're going back and thinking, "Oh, I should have," you know, mm-hmm. "I should have said something." What would I say? Then those are your, like you say, your learning moments, right? You can do a little bit of research or follow a new Instagram advocacy advocacy account, or you know, and and then next time you'll feel more confident to mm-hmm. say something. And yeah, I think if you just keep not calling it out then that that would be where the where the issue would be but if you're taking those steps and being proactive and then next time you can do it better then that's not a failure at all yeah don't let perfection get in the way of good Mm -hmm. absolutely i agree (laughs) well i think that just about wraps up our third episode so thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on our show. It was a real show. honor to have you on. Thank you yeah. so oh much. Oh my gosh, thank it was my honor to be here. <laughs> thank you well, so thank much. You, thank you for coming. Thank you to the listener for submitting this question. We had a lot of fun answering it, and I hope you'll all tune in for our next episode. That's it for the latest episode of Dear Dual Perspective. We'd love to hear from you. You can submit your anonymous question for a future episode in the link in our Spotify podcast description or in our Instagram bio. Follow us at Dear Dual Perspective. Music for this episode was provided by Coma Media on Pixabay. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or hear us on CJUC, Whitehorse Community Radio, on Wednesdays from 8 to 9 p.m. Thanks for listening.